What's up everyone? Brett McGrath, Vice President of Marketing at The Juice. Welcome back to Modern Day Marketer. I'm excited that you are here. I am recording this coming off the heels of a very exciting week over here for The Juice and our customers. We launched our new integration with HubSpot to help marketers use content distribution to drive revenue. Have had great feedback from our customers. We're seeing that in action. And it's so much fun to not only build an integration, I don't build the integrations, our product team do it. The people are way smarter than me, they put those things together. But to be able to communicate and market it, attaching yourself as a marketer to a amazing brand like HubSpot, so much fun. After we did that, we also hosted episode number two in content distribution live, building a culture around content distribution with Ali Schwanke of Simple Strat. Love the conversation. We're going to continue to do content distribution lives. They're a ton of fun, good opportunity for us at The Juice to get the word out on content distribution and the impact it can have on your business. Today, we are doing a little recycling. So before content distribution live, we had these standalone events and we'll continue to have standalone events, but I realized I hadn't had a good enough, didn't do a good enough job of promoting one of the events after the fact, and that is what's the ROI of our content marketing program. So we're taking that event and we're packaging it up and putting it on the Modern Day Marketer podcast today. This conversation was so much fun. We had Sangram Fajre, who's the CEO and co-founder at GTM Partners, Thomas P.M., VP of Marketing at Storyblock, Nate Turner, who if you listen to Modern Day Marketer, last Friday talked about content optimization. He was a part of this group. And, and Rita Mather, who's the Vice President of Marketing at Superside. So just a all-star lineup to talk about the content and ROI of it all. We're going to be talking more and more about the content and ROI of it all on future episodes of Modern Day Marketer. Got something really cool coming out in June. You're going to want to stay tuned. If you like what we're doing over here, follow, subscribe, hit all the buttons. But most importantly, tell a friend you're enjoying Modern Day Marketer. Without further ado, let's kick it to the conversation. What is up, everyone? I want to welcome you all here to today's event. We'll say this out of the gates. I know it is extremely challenging for everyone to carve out time out of your day to sit through an hour event. So do appreciate that. And also, if you are watching the recording, thanks for taking some time to learn a little bit from us and our speakers. My name is Brett McGrath. I lead marketing at The Juice. I'm really excited about the topic today of how to answer what's the ROI of our content marketing program. This is a question that continues to come up in conversations that I have with other marketers. And I figured what better way to hit it, hit it on its head than to bring up four smart marketing leaders to uh, discuss it. So a little bit about the format before we get in. So we're going to have 10 four minute sessions. It's going to be rapid fire. We're going to have fun, but all of the content in each of those sessions will map up to this question. So I'm going to introduce the speakers, but maybe before we do that, Kat, I know we've got a poll and I'm curious to kind of get some perspective from the audience on which best describes how content marketing is valued at your company. So if you, if you uh, answer that question, get some gauge on 
uh, who we're all working with and who's all out in the audience. I do appreciate that. And maybe now we'll get into the introduction of speakers. So let's move to the next slide. All right. I'm up. And shout out to Kat, by the way. Kat runs our uh, customer success and is also the behind the scenes, uh, brains behind the operation. So helping us all move smoothly. So just want to shout out Kat. But today's speakers, we, are, we will have Nate Turner, who is the co-founder and CEO at TenSpeed. TenSpeed is a content optimization agency doing some really great work. He's going to be talking about how to maximize the value of your content. He spent time spinning up Sprout Social's uh, inbound engine and think there'll be a ton of value uh, you'll learn from him. Uh, the we've got uh, the probably the furthest speaker away from most of us in, in who's up uh, with us late tonight is Thomas Pm. He is the vice president of marketing at Storyblock. Uh, Thomas is from Austria, so he's coming at us live from Austria, and he's going to be talking about how to grow your pipeline uh, with content. And then a guy who probably doesn't need much introduction. Uh, I'm sure if you've been to a marketing show or have watched a event recently or listened to a podcast, you've probably heard or seen him. But Sangram Vajre, who is the co-founder and CEO at GTM Partners, he's also an author of a book. I think it came out a, about a year ago. It seems like maybe longer of uh, Move, the four-question go-to-market strategy. We're going to be talking about how content can help connect a broken go-to-market strategy. And we're going to kick things off with... Amarita Mathur, who's the vice president of marketing at Superside. Superside is an incredible brand. I love seeing their content. I love going to their website. It's it's very uh, uh, vibrant and it makes you feel good. Um, and she's got a ton of experience. Talk, and she's going to be talking about trade-offs between immediate and long-term conversion with content. Before we bring her up on the stage, I do want to share... Just go to social, go to Twitter, go to the Twitter machine, share your thoughts. I think the the thing I love the most about these sorts of things is like the aftermath of pulling up Twitter and seeing what people said. So if one of the speakers says something that inspires you, you think it's a good take, share that, tag them, tag the juice, uh, tag myself, follow me, I'll follow you back. We'll do that whole song and dance, but would appreciate the engagement there. I think that is it for all of the housekeeping and plugs. Maybe if we could bring Amrita to the stage and kick things off. Amrita, welcome. How are you? Good. Uh, nervous to talk about this topic because it comes with so much baggage, you know? It, it does. You've got some fans in the chat. I, I'm seeing uh, so, uh, some, someone say love uh, Supersize approach to content. So you've got some fans to hopefully make you feel comfortable as we get, get things going. Cool. I know Spencer. Hey. Hi, Mitangi. Thank you. Uh, appreciate it. Yeah. I, I feel like we're, we're doing something right and we, we know a lot about content, but it's not without its challenges for sure. And, and it's con it continues to be a challenge no matter which company I'm at. So I think, you know, before we dive into this, I want to acknowledge two things. One is that can we all just acknowledge that measuring anything with the same yardstick is like just downright stupid, like it just makes no sense. And yet we as marketers kind of tend to do that. Sometimes our CEOs do that, right? Our business does that to push us in a certain direction. So I think we need to acknowledge that. I think like 
broad, this is very broad strokes, but like if you measure content marketing, which is like the slow burn track, as I call it, and, you know, put that against something like performance marketing, which is the fast track. Obviously, it's not apples to apples. It's a totally different dynamic. It's a totally different messaging style. The platforms are often different. How you pull people in is often different. So very different tracks. So let's just acknowledge that. That's that's the first thing. And the second thing is kind of like the other side of the coin is that I've I've maybe myself been that person, but I've also met a lot of marketers who are like this, who think content marketing is about growing your brand and creating a halo. And eventually when people are ready, they'll buy from you. And it's like, yeah, it is. But it's also about revenue, right? It, 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 it's a stepping stone to getting your buyer to understand why they should pay attention, what is the actual problem, why they should care about it, and why they should care about it now, right? That That's really what good content marketing is. So I just want to like, that's like the preamble. I'm sorry. but I, I don't uh, be- Man, I'm fired up. Like that is such a great way to kick things off. You're making my job easy. I didn't even have to ask anything and you just went uh, to town. So I, I love that. And I think we're going to hit on some of those things. So maybe... Uh, just the idea of content taking time and like we all know successful content strategies take time. I guess like the marketer understands this, but I'm curious, like from your perspective, like how are we supposed to be setting expectations with our stakeholders when we're talking about the content strategy that we're building? So we're not setting up ourselves uh, for failure right out of the gates. Yeah, I think it depends on the maturity of the org and also the the business model of the org really matters, right? If you're if your company business model is highly product-led growth, it requires a different content approach. If it's highly like a sales-led approach, it requires a different content approach, so on and so forth if you're doing a combination, et cetera. So I think keeping that in mind, right? Like you can't just take your content playbook from a different company and apply it to this company. You gotta take the business model in mind, know that, figure that out, and talk with their stakeholders with that model in mind, like, hey, sales, here's how this is going to help. Hey, CFO person, this is how this is going to help or CEO or whatever, whoever your stakeholders are. I think that's the first thing. I think the second thing is the world has changed. And we ourselves, I think, may not fully recognize the change. Like, I've, I've just noticed such a huge shift in how I buy. Like, when was the last time I bought anything off a blog post? Like, probably been a solid five, 10 years, you know? I don't think, like we just, I love giving this example because it's like we spent so many dollars on this, but we bought this really expensive tool called Sixth Sense for our ABM approach. Mm. I don't think I read any of their content, maybe late stages after we were in evaluation, they sent us some stuff, right? But I didn't find them on a blog post and was like, oh my God, this blew my mind, right? Like I'm more, I already know what my problem is and and, and now I've gone and found out, you know, who the, who the right mm. players are, et cetera, et cetera. And of course they influenced our rubric, et cetera. So I think the world has changed. I think that so much of, at least in B2B, my, my, my context is B2B, but it, so much of our opinions are formed on offsite channels. And for, I personally feel like offsite is where the money and the eyeballs are, and that's where you invest. And I've taken, I, I've, I've figured out what that approach is and why I think like that and gathered some data and shown that to the rest of the company mm-hmm. when I ask for, a budget at the start of the year or whatever it is, right? It's like, hey, thank you for all this budget. Here's all the bodies. We're shifting dramatically. The offsite content is like what, what I said to our CEO, right? Here's why. Here's how people are buying these days. Here's what's happening. I look at my own behavior. 
so on and so forth. So I think that upfront context setting is really helpful at the start of the year, perhaps, maybe at the start of like a quarter, whatever your cycle is for planning. And I think the second thing is, you know, again, every company is different, but if your cadence for sharing metrics, whether it's, you know, impact of marketing, whatever that cadence is, like, for example, at Superside, we do a monthly OKR meeting, you know, all the GTM teams and all the other teams present. And that that's where I always do the reset, right? I take that opportunity, not just to report on the numbers, like, sure, that's part of it. But it's like really helping everyone understand why, like, why are we doing this? What does this number mean? What is the impact of that? What is the change coming based on that? And that's where the mind changing actually happens. So that's my advice, I guess, in a nutshell. I hear a lot of like the importance of internal showcasing, internal marketing, making sure you're setting the right expectations with your stakeholder I, stakeholders. I feel like I learn a lot from just reading your LinkedIn posts. And if you're not following Amrita on LinkedIn, go do that because you'll you'll get some free advice. But something you wrote was good B2B marketing is keeping people in the ecosystem until they're ready to buy. It's really that simple. And you've said a bunch of other things, but I'm curious, like how should we be thinking about content in that simple scenario that you describe? Yeah, I I think... I think I know that LinkedIn posted really well, but I I actually think people misinterpreted. I wasn't saying throw your hands up in the air and don't do anything about it. And just like, it's not as simple as just putting your brand in front of people yeah. over and over. It's kind of like what I said in my rant earlier, which is you really have to figure out how to put your brand in front of people over and over, but serving the right type of content to the right person in that buyer journey. You might have a sophisticated system to figure out, here's all my buyer personas. You know, some of them are unknown, some of them are known and cookied. I kind of know where they are in the buyer journey. And now I'm going to put you on a certain track to experience, you know, unfolding this problem space uh, in that way. And I think that thoughtful approach is absolutely necessary. And if you do that well and keep testing and experimenting, eventually people will be like, oh yeah, I, I totally have this problem. I should go look at so-and-so company. This happened when that, in that LinkedIn post, I gave this example and I'll just talk about it aloud. This company, Hotjar, uh, there was a guy who was just like, I'm having this problem. I can't create, uh, cre- I don't have creative fast enough and I'm, I'm not able to put out my content fast enough because the creative is either shitty or it's just not happening. And I'm just waiting for months for that to happen. And our creative team is overloaded. So he goes to his manager and says, what do I do? And the manager says, oh, I think you should look at a design subscription company like Superside, right? So the beauty of that statement is the manager didn't have an innate need. He never came to us and booked a demo or anything like that. But when the problem arose, he said, he's triaged in his head. Oh, I don't need a freelancer. Oh, I don't need an agency. Oh, I don't, ah, I need a design subscription company. Maybe the way that this guy described the problem, right? And he's like, go check out Superside. And that turned into opportunity and closed one deal. That's good content marketing because- this guy, we've been able to influence and build mindshare with him probably over a period of years. I tried to look him up in HubSpot to see who the hell this guy is and what have we done, right? I couldn't fully discern that, but that that's good content marketing. I uh, Shout out Sixth Sense, shout out Hotjar, HubSpot. Amrita's plugging everybody right now. So let's talk a little bit about just like the conversion component that, because I know you're super passionate about that when it comes to content. It, it, like just, is there... Like defining the difference between demand capture and demand creation, like, is there a difference from a content perspective on, you know, how we should be, 
you know, thinking about content's role in each of those strategies? Yeah, 100%. Those terms are also come with their own baggage, right? So they're a little bit rudimentary. And it's like, a lot of people that will say, oh, you can't really create demand. There's no such thing. There has to be latent demand. But I've just told you this hot jar story mm-hmm. to illustrate that it is possible. The guy wasn't looking for something. It just, when it, the problem fell in his lap, he knew exactly where to go, right? That's, I, I think that if you're a startup, and I experienced this with Superside when we were early and didn't quite have product market fit and we're trying to figure that out. We were just picking off the low hanging fruit. So we were capturing all the latent demand. For us, what that meant was a company or a team that we sold to or by a persona we sold to that had a very specific need in mind. We were just picking those off. So as an example, Facebook was our, one of our first big customers and they literally had like this new widget or component they were rolling out, I think banners for events or something. And they needed like something like 10,000 graphics. They, so, so the volume play, right? They couldn't possibly do that internally. It wasn't cost effective to do that internally. So they looked for a subscription company like Superside to do that. But that was an easy win because there was a very clear need and desire and a project almost that, that had a budget line item. That is demand capture. Demand creation is when they don't have that and you're still able to reel them in, right? You're still able to be like, you're doing things poorly or whatever it is and show them what the better way is. So as you get mature as a company, you kind of need to shift into demand capture mode because your market is absolutely not going to be large enough for you to just pick off the low hanging fruit forever and ever. There's just going to be markets are finite. So you kind of have to educate a lot uh, in order to create that. And content marketing, again, I feel like, you know, you that there's this great animals post about it. Animals is like this content marketing agency, actually, and I'm plugging them too. Wow. (laughs) They had this really great post that was written a few years ago and they kind of have this diagram and I wish I'd pulled it up, but it's, it's sort of like, they always advise, like start at the core, start at like the absolute, like the, the content that is like core to your business, very close to your product really explains like, what is it about that specific use case or two or three use cases and really start there and then start to branch out and go up. You know, it's like, if you look at an onion, it's like start at the core and then peel the onion backwards rather than the mm. other way around which I think is really smart if you're starting out and trying to figure out what the investments are. That makes total sense to me. But then when you move into demand capture or demand creation mode and you need to do all this awareness and audience building, that's when it's the outer layer of the onion. Uh, and that requires a different style of content marketing and a different investment entirely. There, You dropped just so many nuggets in this like 10 to 12 minute time frame that hopefully everyone out there has got their notepad out and is taking notes from uh, these words of wisdom. So I'm getting cues where we've got to move along to Thomas, but uh, Amrita, we'll bring you back on for Q&A. Appreciate everything you shared here. Sounds good. Thank you. If you have questions, drop them in the Q&A. We will get to those. We've started off with a bang there. A lot of energy and passion from Amrita. Excited to talk with Thomas. Thomas, you out there? Hey, Brad. Can you hear me? There we go. How are you? I'm fine. I'm fine. I think I just need three more espressos to keep up with that energy. (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. And and especially it's a a little bit, what, what time do we got in Austria right now? Well, it's, it's 7.30, close to 7.30 PM here, but it's all good. I love it. I love it. We got a chance to catch up uh, on an episode of Modern Day Marketer. And I think there's so much that marketers can learn from like your experience in 
the way you're thinking about growth and content and pipeline creation at at Storyblock and you leading the charge. So I want to get into some of that. Maybe we start here. Like how, how do you, what I learned from you was so much of what you all were doing was built around this content culture. So I'm curious, like how do we create a culture of content and make sure that the content that we're spending all this time building fits that culture? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I definitely recall our, our podcast episode where we spoke so much about the culture and the, the mindset kind of part of, of content marketing. And I, I think the reason we spoke back then so much about it is I, I, I kind of, I advise a lot of SaaS businesses and I, I did that a lot in, in my previous roles before joining Storyblock as, as VP of marketing. So don't get me wrong if, if you're listening to this. I love content marketing. That's my background. That's where I come from. I'm, do, I'm doing content basically since 2013, 2014 for various SaaS businesses. But the very first thing that I always advise startups, scale-ups, when they approach me and ask me about content marketing and what's the hour of content marketing and when is the right point and time to start content marketing our efforts, I always, always say, well, stop for a second. It's it's a culture topic. It's it's a culture and mindset topic. And you've chatted with Amrita about the measurability part. And you you really have to go one step back and think about content marketing as in, does it fit your company culture, right? And if you're a startup, if you're just starting, you have to you have to ask yourself, does content marketing fit our culture as founders? Because it, ultimately at the end of the day, it is so much founder lad if you're a small startup. And it's it's a comp it's it's a company culture topic because maybe content and content marketing is not the right fit for you. So one of the things I always ask founders as a start is how comfortable do you feel putting yourself out there as as writers, as podcast hosts, as whatever format it really is, and tell your story, right? Tell 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 that story first because if that doesn't fit right, I'm sure it also might not be the best fit for your company to hire a marketer to get started with content marketing. Because ultimately, it's very hard in the beginning to measure a direct ROI from every single content piece. And uh, I, I wouldn't advise to do that anyhow. But if you're worried, if you're found that that's the, where it doesn't fit you or your culture, you probably start questioning content marketing way too soon and you're not giving it enough room to grow. And yeah, um, you won't be happy ultimately with your content marketing efforts because at the end of the day, obviously it's, it's also a strategy question, but culture, culture eats strategy for breakfast. So <laughs> you, you really, you really have to look at, at content marketing also in that sense and yeah, see how it fits your, your, your mindset around your founder lab perspective, the marketing, is it a marketing lab? SaaS business you're running? Is it a sales lad, product lad? So obviously you also have to look at those go-to-market motions, but start with you as a founder, start with you as the people in your company and how that, how content and how content marketing resonates. Let's talk a little bit about Storyblock. I know just in my research, talking with you, seeing the numbers, like Storyblock has been able to scale quickly. Curious on your end, like what, what has the role of content been as the, not only the marketing team, but just the company in yeah. general has grown. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, for all of you who, who do not know Storyblock, Storyblock is a headless content management system. So we are a CMS, right? So 
content is part of our DNA because as a content management system, we, we manage content. We provide a software solution for 110,000 developers and marketers globally these days to host their content, be it content for websites, mobile apps, or other front-end experiences. We just recently published a case study around Tesla, Tesla hosting point-of-sale content within Storyblock as a CMS. But to, to go to your point, content sits really at the foundation of everything we do. And um, Storyblock was started in 2017 by two developers, Dominic and Alex, um, as a remote company. And both of them come from a development background. And one of the first things they did, supernaturally, both of them are not really marketers and weren't really that familiar. They started to educate the market because back in 2017, the whole market category of headless CMS, yes, it was a growing, it was a it was a growing market category, but it was not that really known to, to a larger audience. So what Dominic and Alex did since day one was they put themselves out there. They created tutorials, they created content. They put them on conferences for developers and share their knowledge around building building Storyblock, building Storyblock as a content management system. And that really led to the first organic growth. And uh, all, all the content marketers out there, we love organic growth, right? And how, how that combines and how that helps us scale. So between 2017 and 2020, that is all they did. Zero marketing invest on any paid channel. Actually, there was no marketing team up, up until 2020, but it was just them publicly creating Storyblock. And yeah, um, back in 2020, um, we were about, I think, 25 people on the whole company. Dominic um, reached out to me asking for some content marketing advice and how to start building the inbound marketing side of things at, at Storyblock. And we, we started talking back then. And now fast forward to, to two years, we now have a marketing team of 30 people being spread across demand gen, brand, branded comms. Um, fully owning inbound pipeline. And yeah, the whole company is now at 220, 240 people, something like that. That's insane. I think what I've, I learned from listening to you respond to that question is get your founders involved in content early and often, because I'm sure it makes the decisions that you've, you have to make when you're thinking yeah. about investing. Yeah. It makes it resonate and it makes it more easy for them to push forward or, or uh, get uh, support any content initiatives that you're running. Yeah. Sure. I mean, you need natural buy-in from, from your key stakeholders, be it the CEO, be it the founders. And yeah, you don't want to be busy reporting every few days, every few weeks back up if content marketing does really make sense. So yeah, you need full buy-in on that. Otherwise, it, it wouldn't really work. I want to hit the uh, a question I have about technology before uh, we get we get some uh, Nate up here, but what's the role of content technology and, and how should technology support your pipeline and business goals? You're a content technology company. I'm sure you have some yeah. perspective on this question. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, we are exposed to that question on a daily basis because when, when our customers speed in the tech space and e-commerce space approaches, most often technology limits them. The marketing team, the content team feels limited by the technology they use. And the limits we see there is time to market. As marketing teams, we rely on fast deployment cycles. We need, we need technology that helps us publish content fast, no matter the front, no matter the channel, right? So time to market is really critical. And unfortunately, there are a lot of systems out there that, that aren't really ideal on that. The second part is 
we're in 2023, right? There's not only websites we need to maintain as marketers. We have social, we have mobile, we have AR, VR environments, we have voice. You might have mobile apps, you might even have smartwatch apps. So how, how do you deploy, how do you publish content on all of those different different channels in a very fast, reliable manner, right? That's still a big challenge. And one of the key the key aspects we see there around technology is that we believe that content should sit in central places, right? Because if content is siloed in multiple technologies, in multiple content hubs, your team will be inefficient. Your team will be busy copy-pasting content from one system to another. So we really believe in one central content hub that allows marketing teams, but beyond marketing, there are many other teams involved in content and content management and content marketing, right? So we, all, we, we, we as marketers sometimes forget that because we think we're the only ones managing and publishing content. But anyhow, at the end of the day, the impact as a technology is definitely also around single source of content management and how that enables teams to be faster and more productive. And we, we actually will publish a report and a study next week around what's the ROI of a, of a content technology for content marketers, because it's, it's, it's sometimes crazy to think that we spend so much money on, on paid ads, on performance marketing, on, on other crazy marketing stunts. But we've totally forgot or this not maybe not forget, but don't focus on the technology part on it on how and invest in technology also helps us accelerate with our pipeline goals. And I think there are various studies out there and I don't I don't wanna quote them too much, but at, at the end of the day, you need to dedicate a certain percentage of your marketing spend also towards technology because it, technology is not only an enabler, but also helps you reach those pipeline goals that you set out there. I'm excited to check out that report. Email it to me when it goes live so I make sure I see it. I'm sure there's some good nuggets in 100%. there that we can plug in our content. Uh, Thomas, this was awesome. We'll see you back up on stage for Q&A. Appreciate it, man. Absolutely. Thanks, Brad. All right. We have Nate coming on. If you have any questions, I'm going to plug it again, drop them on, but we are ready to talk with Nate Turner from 10 speed. Nate, hey, welcome. Thank you. Hey, I think uh, before we get started, I do want to mention just to kind of build on one thing that Thomas was saying that I think one of the panelists is actually between me and my team, pretty hands-on in content strategy for dozens of SaaS companies, as well as in the data. And I get asked a fair amount, like what's the number one thing that drives success, you know, for, for companies in their content program. And I wanted to, to build on what he said, like I tell people all the time, it's actually something that most marketers can't control. It's the overall culture around that and the leadership's buy-in on that inherently, because anytime you have to kind of try to be swimming upstream all the time to convince people why you should be doing it or why it's working, uh, it's just not nearly as successful as when there's buy-in from the start. So I love that. I just wanted to, to build on that. I think it's it's extremely true and we see it all the time. I love that to kick it off. And I think just as content people, like there's been this evolution. And at first it was like, all right, we're going to try a bunch of things, take a trial and error approach to our content marketing strategy and see what works. Then content marketing has certainly gotten more sophisticated. We're now like, I'm sure marketers that you're talking to like are hearing from their boss or boss's boss like how can we tie this work back to revenue and like show evidence that this is actually direct directly having an impact so i'm curious just on your end like how should we think about setting if we're like building a content strategy or setting and 
refreshing, setting a new one up from the start. How should we be thinking about the things we can do to tie that strategy back to revenue right out of the gate so we're not scrambling having to prove our worth and we're playing from behind? Yeah, I think the number one thing there is like uh, marketers love to, you know, grab a blank notepad or sit, you know, stand up in front of a, a blank whiteboard and just, you know, let's map out all the opportunity or jump in right into, you know, an SEO tool and start pulling keyword lists and seeing all that. And I think that that's where you get a lot of wasted cycles. You get a lot of you know, heading down the wrong path. And so I think the number one thing is just, you know, starting with understanding as much as possible about the customers you already have, what, you know, what's causing them to buy, what are you solving for them? You know, anything with your ideal customer, what are their pain points that your product solves? And really, whether it's blog content, video, podcast, social content, starting with those things that are closely tied to how your product solves their problems um, and really, you know, higher intent topics that are, are, are more um, someone trying to understand the solution for what they're trying to do, I think is the number one place to start regardless of, of the format and making sure you're starting there because that's where you are going to have the most success versus, hey, I'm going to set out on this three to five year journey to build a huge audience because I did the math and I figured out that all I have to do is get 1% of that to eventually convert, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And that meantime, like your company's, you know, it needs to hit numbers and, and sort of to, I'm Rita's point, like there is long-term, but there's also the short-term needs and like your company ideally has more channels beyond just content marketing, but you need to know that you are progressing towards the revenue milestones and, and the growth that the company needs to allow you to have that long-term viability. One thing that I've noticed about 10 speed and something that you all help with, and it, it just makes me very excited because it's my number one favorite topic. And I think biggest opportunity with content marketing is content distribution. So like it, what, what do you think content distribute, like how should content distribution fit into like any modern content strategy and kind of like, what do you advise, uh, you know, people you're working with, like, how to get into it. So it's like kind of like that crawl, walk, run approach. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, similarly, like we do work a lot on the SEO side as well. And so one of the things we're often reminding folks is like organic search is just one single distribution channel. So anytime, you know, you're, you're sitting down saying, you know, we're going to create a bunch of SEO content to rank, like that's no different than saying all we're going to do is social content, you know, whatever, like it's, you're, you're being too myopic in, in the approach. And so, uh, we really, you know, work to kind of understand how do we create topics that are highly relevant to your audience, uh, very applicable. They are optimized for search, but there's also very good opportunities to extract the value from that and let that be fuel for many other aspects of marketing across newsletters, social sales enablement, like a number of different things you can be doing with that. And so I think a couple of tips would be, you know, making sure that you're distributing value and not links, you know, so there's not really, it's, it is maybe a fraction better to give someone a fraction better than nothing to give someone a link on Twitter or uh, LinkedIn or something with no context, like mm. just hoping that they'll click and trust you that they'll come read this post. So really need to make sure you're, you're pulling the most valuable points out and do that. And that's why you see people, you know, take a 45 minute podcast episode and pull it down into a 30 second clip 
because they're they're doing the work for for others to really highlight the value. And so I think yeah, distribute value, not links, and then also you know understanding how you're going to distribute before you create the content. I think is also a really important thing. So in terms of the walk, crawl, run, I think for many people they simply do not distribute the content. Like they <laughs> they create the content on whatever the format is. If it's a you know a video, maybe they put it on YouTube. It's a podcast, they publish it. If it's a blog post, they put it on their site. That's it. So crawl is just distributed in any way other than the the main place that you're you're housing that content. Um, and then I think the the walk is where you start to distribute to multiple channels and you are making sure to tailor some of the content in those channels to the channel. You know, so you're understanding sort of the the natural dynamics of each channel and making sure that the content fits that instead of just like a multi uh, distribution from one click. And then I think the the run is really where you have an entire distribution playbook and it includes redistributing long-term. So it's not just, we created it, we distribute to a lot of places, but we also have a plan to make sure that ongoing, everything that's important is continue to be distributed, potentially repurposed, packaged, things like that. One thing I just want to amplify that you said is that just di- like just do it like chances are your competition is not doing it and all you have to do is just do it and just crawling into distribution could send you and your brand it could cause them to zoom past your competition so i lo- it's it's simple but i love it and that certainly resonates yeah. i want to get to i want to get to maybe like the revenue and i'm sure it varies from you know business to business but like what what signals are you looking for uh, to indicate that your content strategy is working from a revenue perspective. Yeah, and I think you can certainly start at the bottom of the funnel and understand sort of opportunities and revenue. And then, you know, with that though, I think there's a big caveat that attribution is never perfect and content in particular is a highly influential channel in, in a number of ways. So it's definitely, I would caution purely judging the performance of content by the, the opportunities and revenue that it generates. Uh, but I think if you work your way up, understanding that you have, you know, leads, which you could consider, you know, free trials or demo requests, whatever it may be for your for your business, coming from that and being able to kind of look and see at some point, per, perhaps there was some, some interaction with content, maybe it wasn't necessarily like the main thing that drove them there. But then beyond that, I think, uh, really starts to higher up. I think it becomes into more of the like building an audience, building awareness, building trust. And so certainly you just sort of have the influence that's growing. You have, you know, sub- like newsletter subscriber lists are growing, which again is sort of that pool that to, again, to Amrita's point, like you, they're sort of in your ecosystem. You can continue to to educate and inform and add value until they're ready to buy. Um, so I think there's a number of things there. And so obviously you can get into impressions across certain channels or audience growth. But I think the big thing, regardless of kind of which metrics or which stage in the process is really understanding the engagement from your ICP. So it's easy to say, oh, well, some early indicators are impressions or audience growth or anything like that. But it's important to go a layer deeper, have a qualitative understanding of, is that really who you're trying to attract? Because you know, depending on how you position stuff, how it's you know distributed, you could be building an audience, but it's not really the right people. Just similar to like traffic for the sake of traffic, you know, from a blog content or something doesn't really do anything for your business. And so I think that's 
an important layer that we'd say, hey, you know, this is, we know we're in front of the right people. We know we're, we have the, our target audience engaging. If this just strengthens any conversation with sales, it eventually leads to uh, more like stuff down the funnel, things like that. So I think that would be the a couple of big points there. So many good nuggets in there, Nate. I appreciate it. We got to bring Sangram back on, but yep. we'll hear more from you uh, during question and answer. Talk to you soon, man. Yep. Thanks. All right. If you got those questions, going to plug it again. Also social at Indy McGrath at the juice HQ drop what you're thinking. Would love to see it. Let's bring in Sangram. There we go, man. How are you, Brett? What's up, Sangram? Welcome. How are you? I know you're running a hundred miles an hour in every direction with your new company, making things happen, but I'm glad you could be here to drop some knowledge on content ROI today. Oh man, I love content. And I was like, well, listening to Amrita and, and Thomas and Nate, I'm like, all right, like I'm getting all these ideas. I'm, I'm making comments and notes. Uh, so this has been already value for me. So thank you for putting this together. So I've always observed you, followed you on social, and I've, I've seen you as a leader who has prioritized content. And whether it's, you know, way back, Pardot, Terminus, I'm curious, like, what are the reasons and what's the impact it's had on the businesses that you've worked in? You know, the the best way I think about content, especially LinkedIn, I'm like nowhere to be found on the entire planet except on LinkedIn. So just so you all know, like, uh, I'm not everywhere or uh, thankfully LinkedIn is still working. Uh, it was the easiest way to test new messaging. It was the mm-hmm. easiest way, or it is still the easiest way to know where the pulse is. So for example, Two days ago, I posted something that had a big that that had stuff in there that nobody clicked, and we were thinking like that would be the greatest message on planet Earth. Let's just do go about that. And then after that, I tweaked it and then put something else, and it had like you know fifteen thousand, twenty thousand uh, conversations on it. So we're like, whoa, that has pulse. So in the world where there is so much noise, you got to figure out where is the voice of the marketplace. And if you can find the voice, then you can drive your business forward. So I find that one of the best things we can do from a content perspective is, is why I have been using it is to find that voice, not noise, but voice in the marketplace. I love it. Message testing, see what people are liking, see what people are commenting on. I think the last six to 12 months, there's just been undeniable change. And we see the updates just following LinkedIn. And I think it's a time where there's a lot of finger pointing can go on specifically at marketing that we're not getting enough leads, not enough pipeline. Leaders look at content. I'm, I'm curious, how do you think we should tr- stay on track as content marketers during times? And like, we've talked about this a little bit today, but like things we can be doing to develop co- confidence internally about the content that we're creating and distributing. Well, I've been guilty of it myself. I've, I've like, when sales don't happen, I'm like, well, what are sales doing? They don't know. We have all this content and sales don't know what to close. Or whenever companies have churn issue and I've been part of it, I'm like, well, customer success, they're not, they, they can't talk sales. So they are that, they can't talk product. So we all have done that. Let's, uh, let's be fair and honest about all of it. It's easy to do. Like I've done that since I was a child pointing at my brothers and sisters for 
my problems. Uh, but if you really come down to it, and, and this is as I've started this new venture on go-to-market, I've realized that, and I've been using this as a mantra for every roadshow event that we're doing. And I literally have everybody say that in the room with a loud voice. Here's what we say together. We don't have a marketing problem. We don't have a sales problem. We don't have a CS problem. We don't even have a product problem. What we have is a go-to-market problem. And, and I say that and everybody laughs, laughs and, and things. But the point is that, look, a lot of times when we say, well, we're not getting enough demand, maybe we're not even positioning. Maybe it's not the right product. Maybe we mm. need to try a new, new positioning for the product. And a lot of them product would be the answer to the sales problem. So... I think we have spent too much time pointing fingers and I think we all should start saying that what is the go-to-market problem we're solving and maybe the answer is from another function in your organization and we just haven't spent enough time together as a team to solve this problem. So there's the finger pointing. We've all been guilty of that. And so most of us, you know, our go-to-market strategy isn't perfect. There's always gaps. There's always holes, things that we can be doing to improve it. I'm curious, can content play a role in helping fix any of those growing go-to-market problems that we're, we're living in on a day-to-day basis? In, in some ways, 100%, but we have to reimagine content. You know, if the content strategy that has been given to you or what you have come up with is, I need to write three blog posts a, post a, a month and do do webinars a quarter and do you know five social posts. Well, that's not content. Like that is that that you know that that's not what really what we all are talking about over here. I've, I have so much respect for you and Amrita and Thomas and Nate. I don't think any one of us are actually looking at content that way, and, and I'm, I'm, I believe the audience too. We are looking at content like where what do we need to do with this content we need to really get connected with that so as an example uh when uh, we were working with snowflake and they would create a piece of content specifically for a particular vertical for a particular company and get that company to move to the next stage now Mm. that's the level of content marketing because that's a half a million dollar deal that you're talking about so i think we as content marketers who love or content creators i would say we need to start looking at not volume and impressions mm. and clicks and all those things but are we moving whatever it is that we are worked on maybe it is customer maybe it is a future customer maybe it is a pipeline deal whatever it is to the next logical stage what we need to do and once we all start having that conversation Man, I've seen sales team jump into it and saying, we love you. Man, I've seen CS team come in and say, you know what, this is what I needed. So I think we need to just reimagine what content is or at least redefine it internally. I love it. Just in thinking about the tracking of content, I think that's been one of the biggest challenges and just a struggle in general is like we know that the content we're producing consistently does something, but Oftentimes it's the questions of like, what is it actually doing and when is it doing it? I'm curious just in your years of, you know, creating content, working with content marketers, working with marketers, are there any unique content success metrics that you track or think we should be thinking about in order to validate our work? I've been in so many board meetings and I'm still am, and I've never seen a content marketing slide uh on anything yet like i've been on public boards i've been on private board i've been on startup board i've been on non-profit board i've never seen a content marketing slide in it so i think we need to like move on from that but what i've always seen especially the best one from my days at salesforce and even uh, early days with terminus i've always seen a customer story 
that brings the conversation together. So, so we will do something in the, at, at Pardot and Salesforce. We'll call uh, show me the money slide. Like this was our favorite thing to do. The show me the money slide was we pick a customer that closed last month or last quarter and show their entire journey from all the different things they did. Oh, they downloaded a content, they attended a webinar, then they have two sales calls or five sales calls. Then they talk to so-and-so executive, then they talk to a customer. We're showing the entire journey of that customer that led to close. And the more you look at it, you realize that there is no silver bullet here. There is no Mm -hmm. one that's all. What you start seeing is that all of these things work for different types of persona at a different time and place, and you start figuring that out. So what works for us as content creators is are those stories that tell the full for what, what has happened as opposed to, well, here's our content, uh, the ultimate guide to so-and-so. Uh, okay, well, great. Good job. Good good for you. Who else read it? Not even the t- your own team reads sometimes. <laughs> Canada, let's be honest. I love it. Uh, there's... Th- a guy who wrote a book about go-to-market strategies has content uh, at the top of your brain and now is running a, a business around go-to-market. Sangram, this is fun. We're going to bring everyone back up because I want to make sure we hit some of these questions we got uh, during this conversation, which I'm looking at now, and there looks like a lot of good ones. So, Kat, can we bring the rest of the group back up? Uh, seems like Amrita already wants to go uh, <laughs> off and jump I, on. Let's I, do it. I'm just going to, I'm going to throw, we got one from uh, Julia and she has a question about forms and this is what a great topic to talk <laughs> about. So let's, let's, uh, if, let's just talk about forms. Like she notices some people are dropping forms, but it makes other things difficult, like retargeting, tracking, like maybe we can go around the horn, like, should we get rid of forms? Is there a balance? Like, Amrita, I know you've been waiting the longest and you probably have an opinion on this. So maybe we'll start with you. I'd say I'd say keep them, but use them strategically. You use them in the part of the funnel where you best need them. We, we at SuperSide, it, it makes sense for us to use them kind of like not right at the top of the funnel, but like almost like your first time visit. And, uh, you know, you, you've get, gotten value, let's say on LinkedIn or what have you, right? Like kind of like Nate said, and then maybe you've come to our site and maybe you've actually landed on a content offer. That's usually where we pop up the form and that's where we cookie you. And then after that, everything else is home free. So we use it strategically. I'm not an advocate of dropping forms. I think that our privacy regulations and the walled gardens that have gone up have made things substantially more difficult. And it is what it is. And this is the game we're playing. And we're here to make money. And content marketing, again, is not just about brands. So yeah, generally, I feel like keep it up, but don't go you know, buck wild on it. Other thoughts? Well, I'll just drop drop this, and Samrita is like all over on 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 this. Like, oh, I want to hear hear more on where do we disagree because that's the best part. Uh, but but I, I do where where I see it's interesting is when somebody comes to your website, you have done your job. Nobody's come to the website because oh, let me go search something because they have time. Nobody comes like that. So majority of the time, if somebody's coming to the website, you have done your job of getting them to your website. So give them the freaking demo, give them the whatever they need to know, and and move them forward because they're not going to be shy about it. The problem is people drive with ads and everything to the website, and now when you drive people through paid ads and and like forcefully on your website, then they're like, well. I don't even know what you're talking about. So the example that Amrita shared in the beginning was a classic example of that person wants to buy, like give that person the demo and move them forward. 
No, I just wanted to say, to add to it in the sense of, I think we as content marketers are used to a situation where we overuse forms. So I would say reduce the amount of forms you use, ungate content, provide more value for free, but definitely use it strategically as Amorita put it. Um, so looking at privacy first regulations and all that's to come, we, we, we definitely want first party data, right, as marketers. So I, I wouldn't say you should, you should lose them entirely. And like, I'll just add that one thing to look at is like your drop off on the page. You know, you can you can test this very easily and turn it on and off depending on the channel that people are coming in from. So sometimes when people come in organically, we, we don't have a form when they come in through paid, they have a form, very short form. Right. So there's there's nuances there as well. There's like a really great landing page that we have that has something like 50 percent conversion. It's like a it's a gated guide about the dysfunctions between marketing and design. And we, we thought like no one would care about this, but apparently a lot of people do. So when we realized that we put the form up, right. And it still has 50% conversion and we are okay with that trade-off. So it's almost like you kind of have to do the math of like what each lead is worth to you. And are you okay leaving that money on the table and grab them another way? It, that That's the way I think about it at least. Yeah. I was just going to say, you know, when the, the uh, like conversation around ungate content really started. I think that was also just a different time when people weren't proactively sharing as much value on social mm-hmm. and in other channels. And so it was very much the default. We have something, we're going to put it behind this form. And so I think a little bit that shifted, I wouldn't you know entirely ungate everything, but I think the biggest thing is just making sure you're being thoughtful about the value behind that. And so to that last point, I'm ready to like, there's, clearly demand and and value there for someone, but just having something that was basically a designed version of a 400 word blog post, but you made someone exchange a lot of information does not make sense. Yeah. Yeah. And they'll just leave dissatisfied with their brand anyway. And they'll be like, Oh my God, I gave my email away for this thing. Even though they probably do it for like a $2 coupon all the time. I I want, I want to hit this question before we got, we get out of here because I'm sure you all have different opinions and I know you all have various levels of experience, but this one from Leo and Nate, maybe we'll start with you is what type of content should every SaaS company publish in the early days, like high intent keywords, alternatives, like what's your perspective on like day one er, startup, the type of content that we should be building? So I think the interesting thing here is that your company typically knows what that is because that's the narrative. It's the origin story of your product. There's a reason that you built the product in the first place. And then there's the narrative around why we think there's opportunity here. We are solving pain with this product. You maybe did that for fundraising. So there's a lot there that just sometimes doesn't quite get translated into content. And so I think that's really the starting point is just really focusing on like, not a like, hey, why we exist or why we started the company, but hitting on those pain points. Uh, and then I think, you know, inside with, with that is also just understanding from the start, you have a pretty good idea of who your buyer is and you kn- then know like, where are they spending time? Do they, where do they consume? Is it, you know, conferences, podcasts, whatever it may be and making sure you, you know, don't have endless bandwidth so let's start with the formats that are going to be most likely relevant to them at the at the beginning who else has an opinion on this i i would i would challenge that i would say no content with the if we look at day mm-hmm. one you should not publish public content you you should go talk to your prospects to your customers also as a marketer you you should sure. maybe your first content is an email is an email to your prospects is 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 something on the sales enablement side of things but yeah, as, as a content good. marketer, I would say it's it's not it's not a blog post. It's not it's not something right. public. 
Yeah, I guess day one means many different things. But yeah, day right. one, you yeah. usually don't know shit. So it's like, what do you call the thing? <laughs> yeah, yeah I, w- I definitely wasn't interpreting it that way. But that's a fair point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, that's that's fair. Yeah. Can I actually, I, can I turn this around and ask a question? Like everybody says, like, especially like for startups, like start with search, always start with search. There's always like some latent demand somewhere and you want to capture that as quickly as possible and not be late to the party and all of that. Has that, that's changed, right? I'll, sh- I'll just share like at the juice early days, I didn't even think about search when I was creating content. It was how do we share our point of view? How do we cut out our side of the market where we've got a small group of people who are understanding what we're saying and just tell stories and not disregarding search, not disregarding keywords and the power of SEO. Now we're to the point where it's like, we need to get sophisticated around there. But early days at the juice was just like, let's tell stories that we think will resonate with the type of people that we want to be using our product. Yeah. Yeah. I, we, we do have the opportunity to talk to and, and work with a lot of very early stage companies. And I would say it's not the, the first thing happening for sure. I mean, that's, there's definitely a good establishment. There's some product market fit. There's some understanding of uh, different channels and what actually drives customer acquisition and, and some of that before you're really ever getting that. And oftentimes other, you know, types of content or content channels before, before getting into it. Yeah. You know, what we what I've seen is uh, like Demandwell, which is an indie right now. They're an SEO company out there. And what was interesting, because they're one of our customers, is they're able to see where the market demand is from an intent perspective. So it actually has helped their company and their customers to figure out what to focus on, where the problem is. And then on the flip side, there's... Uh, Path Factory, Hushly, what's the other one? There's several, like all of these, they, they're all, again, our customers. So we are able to see the content, the things that actually have hubs that they're creating and people are spending a lot more time on those hubs and their time on site has gone tremendously up when you create that experience as opposed to just a blog post experience. It's more of like, well, I know what you are looking for and I got all of that now all of, my, all of a sudden in front of you. That actually does work and it can go hand in hand with the SEO part of it. This has been a ton of fun, and I know we're trying to be mindful of everyone's time. I want to thank Sangram, Amrita, Nate, Thomas. This was a ton of fun. I'm really excited about uh, what you all had to say, and I know I'm thinking about things a little bit differently. So appreciate your time and audience, everyone out there listening. Thank you so much. Hope you gained some value from this conversation today. Thanks, all. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. It was a blast reliving that one. That was one of my favorite conversations. I learned a ton. I had a notepad full of notes. Um, Hopefully you gained something from that conversation too. Be on the lookout. We're doing a ton of content. We're doing a ton of fun product releases. I'm really pumped up as marketer at The Juice uh, to share the news. So make sure you tune in to Modern Day Marketer moving forward. Take care of yourself. Take care of others around you. New episode on Friday.